You're listening to Her, an ongoing conversation for women by women, exploring all things heal, empower, and rise, giving voice to the feminine. This is a podcast where women support women through thought-provoking, authentic, and raw conversations. We provide an uncensored platform for our guests with diverse viewpoints that are not necessarily consistent with the perspectives of your hosts. I'm Elika. I'm Alegria, and we're here to guide this adventure with you. Your voice matters. Let your voices be heard. Well, hello to all our listeners out there in this beautiful earth. I want to say a loud and powerful thank you. Today's speaker shares with us the power we have to raise our voices and does this by sharing her own struggles to get to where she is today, authentically herself. Most of us live with our traumas and we're afraid to speak up. Stacy Burnell rose above shame, trauma, and deep wounds and is now sharing her story to empower women to show up as their authentic selves. Stacy shares some of her most difficult hardships. Through this process, she has helped many women and many people who have stayed silent for way too long. It's not easy being vulnerable and speaking up, but speaking up has been freeing and she no longer carries the shame. She is inspiring, and we know she will inspire you to speak your truth and take steps to rise above whatever deep hurt and trauma you have been through, being proud of who you are and loving yourself. It doesn't happen overnight, and we know some of the information you're going to hear today might leave you feeling a certain way. Take it in, process, and know that you are not alone. Stacey Burnell, thank you so much for being part of the Her Podcast. We love having you here. Um, Alegria and I are so excited to just dive in. I was just telling you that I listened to your TED Talk, which was so powerful and you were so vulnerable. And I was there with you every single word because it was hitting home for me a lot of what you were saying, I felt like, wow, I've been through that. And a lot of people have these traumas and there are triggers throughout life that bring those to the surface. You talk about that, that even when you were at your highest and most proudest moments, those things were still there and you were trying to work through that. And we're always, we're never going to be perfect. And we're always striving to be the best versions of ourselves through authenticity. And that's what we're all about. We're about being authentic and the Her Podcast, that's what we strive to be is just have these authentic conversations with powerful women like you that have been through some adversity and traumas and are rising above it. So here we are. And I'd love to give you the virtual stage uh, so that you can tell us a little bit about yourself. I know that you are the author of The Things We Don't Talk About. Uh, You're a TEDx speaker 
also a coach. Here you go. Have the virtual stage and let us know a little bit more about you. Yes. Thank you so much. And it's so interesting. I think just if you look at the titles of, so like the title of my book is the things we don't talk about. My TEDx is called confessions of a recovering nobody, because that has been a big, big part of my journey is years of, of being told to stay small, stay quiet. Don't talk about certain things. You know, you shame and trauma will tell you that, that no one wants to know about your baggage. No one wants to hear about your, your past. And and so keep these things secret and just don't share them with people. And so, and some of that I was, I mean, some of it, I wasn't straight up told, but really in some ways I was explicitly told, like, no one wants to hear about it. And everywhere I showed up in my life, I felt like if I was truly authentic, if I was the real me, and if I showed people who I really was, who would like me, who would love me? Because these things about myself, I told myself that I wasn't worthy. And I told myself I was unlovable because I had, uh, you know, my past and my trauma included being sexually, sexually abused by my father. And um, when it came out, when, when I disclosed to my mom, um, she went to church leaders because she didn't know what to do. And they basically told her like, forgive my dad and sweep everything under the rug and keep going forward. Like nothing was wrong. Nothing had happened. And so to have that happen at a young age as a teenager, I mean, that told me that my protecting my father was more important than protecting me. And so therefore it, you know, I was to blame. It was my fault. I was somehow uh, a bad person because of these things that, and again, don't talk about it. So I didn't share it with my friends and, And so now to know, well, first of all, to know how often this happens to other children, which is so unfortunate. Uh, But I, I had that in common with more people than I realized. And, but I grew up feeling like this only happened to me. This has never happened to anyone else. And so when I got to the point where I started sharing my stories and that's the thing, it, it connected me to people more than I ever realized, because all of a sudden you're like, oh, this, this happens all the time to a lot of people and I'm not alone and I never was alone. And that's, what's really been powerful in the journey is when I started opening up and when I started sharing. So the first time really, um, in 2017, I publicly shared my story and I shared about the abuse, but I also shared that, um, as a junior in high school, I had gotten pregnant and I placed this baby for adoption. And that was another thing that, uh, don't talk about it. Once it, once it was over, once it had happened, uh, I was supposed to just go on with my life. Like I just hadn't had this extremely painful traumatic event happen. And, uh, I, I carried that, I carried that shame. And again, you know, if people really knew oh, that I placed a baby for adoption and I'm such a bad person and I had made all these bad decisions, but I shared that publicly for the first time in 2017. And, um, I had so many people that embraced me. It was the exact opposite of what I thought would happen. I thought people would judge me and people would, you know, now they really know I'm a horrible person. And instead it was the fact that I'm a birth mother, right? And all of a sudden I was able to switch kind of the way I thought about it. And yeah, I had made this incredibly hard decision as a teenager and and done this selfless thing. And so now it's like, yeah, why why would I carry that? as shame when I should be very proud because really of 
of many of the decisions I've made in, in my life, that was actually a really good one. And from there, I mean, honestly, that's kind of how I started. That's how I started building a speaking career was because of how powerful it was sharing that story and how I started connecting with more people through that. And um, it's been really amazing to see how it's impacted other people because I, uh, like I, for example, I spoke at an event for, uh, it was a fundraiser for our local children's justice center. So they actually work with children who have been abused. And I, you know, spoke about my abuse. And from that event, I actually had a man who reached out to me and said, uh, I also was abused as a child. I've never, he's like, I've, I've never even told my wife that I've never told anyone that. And, uh, and he's like, now I'm, I'm at a place where I can address it and I'm going to go to therapy. And that was so powerful. Like just because he heard my story, now he had the courage to be able to share his. And if I, if I have, you know, done nothing else in my life, but helped create these ripple effects for other people, um, that's, that's really all I could ask for. It's been pretty powerful. Well, let me just say how courageous I think it was for you to come out and share your story. And yes, I'm, there are so many people now that are older that maybe don't have that courage and are now connecting with you. And I'm one of those people. Um, So when I was 13, same kind of experience. So it was my uncle and we are very conservative. Parents are religious Catholics and same kind of thing. They believed me. I actually had a very, very honest heart to heart with my parents while I was there in Florida for the past two weeks. And we talked about it because I felt like I couldn't move on without actually listening to why we continued like nothing happened. But I don't know if it's cultural or if it's because of the religious aspect of it that we just went on our lives and continued to socialize with the family like nothing had happened. And it's just now that these things are coming to the surface. So see, we go through life just dealing with it and keeping it suppressed and not talking about it. And then when we're older, we're just dealing with all these traumas. And now that we have the platforms that we have, which is great because back then there were, you know, even if I wanted to share my story, how would you share it? Right. So now we have all of these platforms and outlets that give us what we need to be able to share our stories. That's why I love that you're on here and that we can just continue to share your story because it is something that so many kids and teens, you know, are are facing. And then you kind of took that and turned it into a positive thing where now you're helping others where some, unfortunately, kids can go the other way and it'll be so negative and they don't know how to deal with it and they don't have outlets. They don't know who to reach out to, to be able to get this off of their chest and be able to cope with it so that it's not this, you know, drawn out problem through their lives and really dictate a lot of decisions that they make through their lives 
you know, whether it be turning to drugs or committing suicide, feeling like you felt like you didn't matter. That's how I felt. I felt like I didn't matter, you know, that I was saying something and that my parents didn't believe me where they did believe me, but they didn't know how to handle it. There was no, no resources for them. So they don't know what they don't know. And now I understand that, but I had such trouble understanding that. So it's just access to resources and people like you who are sharing your stories and how to cope with it, how to deal with it, how to turn that negative into a positive. So I applaud you and thank you. Well, thank you. And you said so many things that were so powerful. And the first is that, yes, how do survivors cope? Because unfortunately, you know, we know how much this happens, but it is considered trauma. And I didn't realize until a few years ago, uh, I had never thought of my abuse as trauma. I actually went to a retreat that was specifically for survivors of, of sexual abuse. And I remember at that point, I had been with my husband for, I think at that point, about nine years. And we had never really talked about it. We, I mean, he knew that it was in my past, but we had, you know, I did, we had never gone into a lot of detail about it. And I went to this retreat and realized I really had suppressed it for so long. And so learning some tools to cope with it because survivors do have higher rates of depression and and suicide and substance abuse and all those things, because we are trying to just regulate the pain and, and, and the trauma of the events that we don't necessarily realize, but our brain is rewired. We are just, our body physiologically uh, reacts to abuse in a way that um, it's, it does make it harder to cope. So yes, I, I really hope that, that whoever, you know, if someone hears this and they realize like, this is something that can help them and that they can find resources and know they're not alone. And Another thing I want to stress is I know that I am very open about everything. I mean, I've, I've written a book, I've done my TEDx and I've gotten to a place where I'm very comfortable speaking about it. A lot of people aren't, they're not, they don't want to speak about it. They don't even necessarily want to hear about it. And I've been in rooms where I have to back up and kind of rein myself in because I will just kind of say, and I'm like, I need to be aware that sometimes it could be triggering to other people, but if someone hears this and they are triggered, then then that means that there's work to do. That means there's something, you know, they should reach out, do what they need to do to, again, find resources, help with mental health, you know, talk to someone. And when we disclose and when we get vocal, it doesn't have to be a big, it doesn't have to be on a podcast interview. It doesn't have to be a big social media thing. It can be that you tell the one person in your life that you absolutely trust, you know, to take it to the grave, whatever it is, but it really is so powerful in being able to get it out. I remember, you know, fortunately for me, when I disclosed to my mom, she had already, she had just found out a whole bunch of other things with my dad involving her family. So she already knew that he had done all these other things for years. So when she came to me and my sister and sat us down and asked us, it, it made it a little easier for me to, to tell her. And I even remember in that moment that I debated for a second that, that there was a part of my brain that was like, no, don't tell her, don't admit it. I was still too scared. And 
I can physically recall the feeling like of it was like a stone in my throat that I was like, how am I going to get these words to come out around that? And, um, but once I was able to do that, it just, it kind of gave me some power back that I can verbalize this. I can talk about it, but you know, obviously I went out for many, many years and didn't, but even just telling my mom was so hard, but I would want any other survivor out there to be able to find someone. And, and if you disclose to someone and they don't believe you, they're not the, they weren't the person because that happens a lot too. And kids, especially they, there's a, there's so much victim blaming, which is so unfortunate. Um, oftentimes I hear that families won't believe the kids or, you know, somehow put it on the kids. So I hope that others can find someone who, who does believe them. Yeah. It's so hard because it's something that's so crazy, especially if it's within a family, not just, you know, someone that you don't know doing this to your child, but for a parent, I'm a parent. So I put myself in my parents' shoes, like to, to get that information. How do you process it? What do you do? You know, you, it's such a tough thing to believe they have to be careful the message they're giving to their child. Yeah. You know, because that can just take take on a whole role of itself and just create this negative ripple effect. Mm-hmm. So um, the other thing. So. So anyway, I, I really think your your message is so powerful, especially to our youth and um, making sure. I mean, I'm sure you've impacted so many, so many lives, especially our youth. Uh, with your message. So that's, that's wonderful. But the other thing you talk about is labeling, because I know that on your TED talk, you talk about how you were labeled throughout your life and how you turned that those labels into positive labels (laughs) because of your background. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yes, absolutely. So the first, and I think probably most powerful label is that I talk about that other label because I am um, biracial and as a child having to bubble in your race. And it was like, are you white? Are you black? Are you this? Are you that? And I'm like, well, I'm two, but there, you know, there wasn't a, a what at the time, you know, cause I was on the child of the eighties, there wasn't a bubble that said multiracial or biracial or two races. It just was other. And so that was, I remember as a young child, like, okay, I'm other, what is, what does that mean? And so I had identity issues around that and then moving throughout the world and life. And just, you know, so back to my um, getting pregnant in high school, I walked into a bathroom one day and someone had written that I was a knocked up hoe (laughs) and it just, these moments, right. Just like, that was such a like punch in the gut. And I, it, it did, it made me feel like, oh, I'm a bad person. And I like, this is what people think of me. And then just other things throughout my life. You know, as I got older, I, I worked at a restaurant and I found out that people were calling me man face behind my back. I'm like, that's, that's nice. But these things that, you know, we talk about not letting other people's opinion of you bother you and not, it's, it's so easy to say that. And it's so much harder in, in real life to be like, yeah, okay, this isn't going to in, impact me or affect me. Of course it does. Of course it does. And yes, it is more a reflection on the person who's saying those things, but it's hard not to internalize that. So now as uh, an older woman, I, 
I took that whole knocked up hoe and I'm like, I'm actually a badass birth mother. And that's, you know, how, how do you flip those kind of negative thoughts and stereotypes into something positive? So that's what I just am like, okay, if someone wants to call me a name, <laughs> how, what's the, what's the flip side of that? And why, why are they saying those things? Or why are those things thinking, you know, why do those, they think those things about me? What does that say about me? And, and again, it's, it's not that it's about me, but it is something to do with them and have to, uh, have to be willing to accept that there are just people out there who are not necessarily going to have nice things to say about you. But yeah, the identity thing, that's, that's one that it's, it's still a tricky one. It's still, especially in this day and age where, you know, how do I identify? And I feel like even with the issues we've been having with Asians right now, I'm like, I'm half Asian. So I feel like I identify with that, but also, you know, do I, because I'm half white and are people going to call me out on it and say, I don't have any right to be upset about these, you know, race issues that are happening. And so it's, it's a weird, it's a weird place to be, to feel like you're not completely on one side or the other. Ugh, I, I can, this is all I agree at. <laughs> I can totally feel the um, internalization of other people and what they say. And, and it's hard to not be sensitive to that. And I think a lot of times we say haters going to hate, but that doesn't really make us feel better. (laughs) I love that you're able to flip the script. I think that that's a super valuable skill to have. Um, But then I think that there's some like self-empathy that we need to give ourselves to and really acknowledge the feelings that come up around what others say when they other us <laughs> like, and what that means and um, how we can love ourselves through that. And so I'm curious what your, your techniques or strategies are for loving yourself through those moments. Absolutely. And like I said, it's so much easier said than done. Right. So for example, I, um, I did a speaking event about a year and a half ago and I was the opening keynote speaker. And then I immediately had a breakout session right after. So I'm speaking in front of like 500 people. I felt like this, you know, this went really well, this was great. And then I went into my breakout and my room, the people coming into my breakout room, there were so many that they had to bring extra chairs in. And again, so I'm like, oh, they loved me. Like they're coming in to my breakout session. And a couple of the attendees came up to me afterwards and wanted pictures with me. And one guy asked for my autograph because he's like, one day you're going to be really famous. And I'm going to say, I knew you. So I'm leaving feeling pretty full of myself. (laughs) I'm feeling like that was awesome. So a couple of weeks later, I get the feedback and there, I had quite a few negative comments and, and, and part of it was I was speaking at my alma mater, but it was for a group that consisted of uh, university employees from the universities across the state of Utah. So they did feel like, like some of the comments were, this was a, a, an ad for this particular university. Like she, she only was speaking because she must donate a lot of money to the college, which is not true at all. But that was their, their perception of me because I did speak a lot about my experience as a student there. And so they felt like it discredited their universities because I was talking so much about mine, but I remembered thinking I suck. Like these people hated me. I thought that they had loved me, 
but some of these people legitimately were just like, like one of them said I was a horrible keynote <laughs> and I was like, ouch, like it, it really, really stung. And in fact, I, I downloaded that PDF with their comments and, and I look at it just every now and then, because it's just not, not to like punish myself, but just to remember, like, I'm not going to be everyone's cup of tea. And there were also some really great comments in there and lots of wonderful feedback. But of course I looked at those negative ones and I was like, ah, but here's why I remind myself, what if I had stopped? What if that one PDF of bad feedback had, I had said, okay, I'm never going to speak again because a handful of people had negative things to say about me. And I would not have been on that TEDx stage last year. I wouldn't be talking with you ladies right now. If I had listened to those people who tried to silence me, who tried to tell me all the ways that I was not good enough. So I just need to remember, I'm not going to be for everyone. And no, there's no one. We're not always, we're not going to walk into a room and connect with hundred percent of the people and they're going to love us hundred percent of the time. So I need to be okay with that. And I need to re remember the people, the people who do want to connect with me and who are in that place where they're going to resonate with something I have to say. Those are my people. Those are the people that, that I want to be connecting with. So it is hard. And there's like, I really have to take time to kind of nurse my wounds <laughs> and, and get back at it. But fortunately I've lived a life of people knocking me down and I'm like, well, just get back up, get back up. So uh, Elika, how many times have we had a conversation about throwing in the towel when, when folks really, you know, steal our shine and when we're really feeling ourselves <laughs> and, and there's folks that just want to bring you down a few notches and it's, I don't know if it's part of the entrepreneurial process, like, because I feel that every time I experience something like that, and mind you, I just did. <laughs> um, I'm reminded of how many times I did get back up and, and it, and I went even further and I progressed and I grew and I learned, and this taps into some of the conversations that we've had too, like even folks that really want to focus in on our shortcomings and our failures or mistakes. And they make that such a negative thing. And we've recently just spoke with another uh, guest that really the entire topic was failing to success. And so I, I guess I want to say to all my haters out there, because I've got plenty <laughs> that I'm willing to keep falling short and I'm willing to keep learning and growing along the way. And if that means that I'm going to be reaching the success that I'm destined for, that I'm, that I'm striving for, it really has nothing to do with anyone else. And it's really none of my business, how they view my process. This is my process, our process, ladies. <laughs> this is our journey. We're doing it. We're showing up and we're doing it. And a lot of other folks don't do that. And that's okay. Cause they're doing their process, but I just, I'm really feeling this right now. Cause I just went through the ringer, uh, recently and, um, 
Yeah, this is near and dear to my heart. And I'm happy to see you shining, Stacy. <laughs> I'm really sorry that you went through that because I really, I, I mean, as much as I, I try to like, you know, use the negative for positive and use it as a life lesson. And what can you, what can you learn from this? It still seriously sucks. It just, it hurts. We are human. I, I mean, w- one big thing that happened to me a couple of years ago, as I was getting more vocal and starting to build my speaking business is I lost some really good friends, like a circle of really good friends. And it felt like a divorce. I, I just told my husband it, it, it really, really hurt to realize this circle of women who I thought, you know, my tribe quote air quotes, I, I thought this was my circle and they all dumped me. So, you know, I often say, I'm not going to be everyone's cup of tea. And then I'm just like, I, you know, and then I get into my little pity party and I'm just like, I'm, but I'm so kind and sweet. So why don't they like me? You know? So it's, it is hard. It's a hard thing to accept when someone is just constantly the negative person or not wanting to see you succeed or whatever it is where they're just not on your, on your side and in your circle and celebrating your accomplishments when you think that they're your friends, Yep. you know, and you thought that they were in your circle. So it's tough, tough pill to swallow. And yes, Alegria and I just talked about this right before we came on here. So it was, it was a tough conversation. We're all feeling some anxiety right now. Yeah. I I like to say, I love that. I'm not your cup of tea, but I really like to add, but I'd rather be your shot of tequila anyway. So <laughs> just, uh, you know, it's, I feel that we, we grow and we, and our skin gets thicker. I think about when I was a baby boss and I was so green and I was so idealistic thinking everybody was going to be so excited about this project I was launching and wow, did I get a real dose of wake up, you know, like, and was, that's not what the experience was. Sadly, there are many people in the world that really want to highlight where you're not succeeding. They're not there to support you. And every time I experience that, my skin gets thicker. And I, I just think about how necessary as an entrepreneur having thick skin is because we don't really want to waste our time sweating the small stuff. And I do all the time. <laughs> I, feel that. I sweat that small stuff. And, um, but we're doing bigger and, and grander things than that. And we really don't have the energy or the resources to devote to these smaller things. I say this right now, by the way, because I need to hear it right now. So, <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not actually uh, advising right now anyone other than myself. <laughs> the good news is you get to hear it over and over and over if you'd like, because it is a right. podcast interview. <laughs> It's on the replay. I'm going to push that replay button over and over. And you know what? Like, it's so funny that every time I have this conversation, everyone else I talk to has had this, they've had the same thing happen in some, you know, they've gone through some sort of loss of friendships or relationships or just having mean people out there or trolls or whatever it is. So we, I mean, we all have them. Unfortunately, there's just, you know, those 
energy vampires out there, but you just, yeah, we got to just keep doing what we're supposed to be doing. And then you, you find yourself overanalyzing, you know, like, well, are they just because they're my competitor? Are they not wanting me to succeed and being so negative because they're not there yet? Or, you know, it's just, yeah, you can really get in your head Oh yeah, with it. So, yeah. So the other thing you talk about is challenging the status quo, which I love. It's just going against the grain and challenging and, and just fighting for what you believe. So you, you have a quote, uh, if you want to see the change, you have to be the change. So I love that so much. And you have come across a lot of, a lot of adversity, but things that maybe you can probably just take the path of least resistance, but you don't. So what are, you know, some of the, I don't like to use the word tips, but right now I'm for lack of a better word, tips you can give us for doing that and staying strong while you're, you know, trying to fight the good fight and do what's right and challenging that status quo. It is certainly a fight. So for me, it really started because I have an autistic son. We face a lot of challenges that um, neurotypical people don't ever face and don't ever even have to think about. And certainly as my son gets older, the world becomes scarier. So that is my absolute number one motivator in why I have to challenge the status quo and why I have to make the world a better place for him. Because what I've learned recently is 30 to 50% of people who are killed by law enforcement are disabled. My son has a high likelihood of getting harmed by people who are supposed to protect him just because he does not act quote unquote normal. And he is a big, brown, scary looking child. So I see what's kind of happening in our world today and that scares me. So that's really what kind of started me in this world of diversity, neurodiversity, and then my experiences of otherness, right? You know, showing up all the time, uh, particularly in my previous role for work, I was a sales rep in the real estate industry here. And if you know anything about Utah, we are not known for diversity. <laughs> we are um, a pretty homogenous state. But in, in my own local community, we're about 40% Hispanic. You don't see that representation. You don't see it in, in, in leadership, in, in our local politics. You don't see it really anywhere. And for me, especially as a woman and a minority woman, I'd go to these meetings and I'd go to these events and I would come home. My husband would like text me and be like, are you the only non-white person? I'm like, yep, like everywhere, everywhere I go. And at first he didn't believe me. And then like, we'd be somewhere and he'd look around the room and he's like, you're right. Usually old white men in a lot of these rooms. And I just started wondering like, why, why, especially in a community where we're 40% Hispanic, why is there such a lack of diversity? And I started getting vocal about it in my own circles, in my women in business groups. And I remember the first time I, I spoke up about it, the women in the room were kind of upset with me because I had, I was saying, you know, we just, we need more diversity. And, and anyway, it's been an interesting kind of uphill battle to start changing dynamics. And especially when the majority of the people who are in the positions of, of power, they don't see a problem with the lack of diversity. They don't have any issues that there's not a re enough representation of 
marginalized voices. So <laughs> that is, I'm, I'm rocking the boat. I, um, I just became the vice chair of my city's diversity commission. I do an autism event in my community. I am having conversations with law enforcement about what they're doing to protect autistic people in the community. Um, Utah actually just passed legislation that officers have to get training for um, specifically to address autism. So just doing what I can to create changes. Well, it sounds like you are creating changes and you're making great strides and uh, really just paving the way. Um, and that's what needs to happen and more people need to do it and they need to speak up. It's such a hard thing to do to go against what people consider to be the norm and, you know, status quo, yep. I guess, you know, so I, I think that that's so wonderful what you're doing and um, you're like a pioneer, <laughs> you know, and, and we, and Allegria and I have talked about um, diversity and we've also, we think it's so important um, that we touch on the subject and it's, it's hard to do because like you said, you, you came across some, you know, some resistance and then women who resisted what you were saying and didn't want to listen, which is, which is terrible to think about, you know, because we should be supporting that. And I just think you don't know, like, again, you don't know what you don't know and people are scared. Absolutely. So especially now, you know, with what's going on in the world, yeah. and we see it all the time and they're bringing, they're highlighting the, the wrong that's going on in law enforcement that more training does need to happen. My husband and I talked about this just last night. I try not to go and listen to the news because it really, you know, maybe I shouldn't be saying this, but it really makes me sad. Like it makes me sad to see what's going on in the world. And I'm taking my time to process it because I don't want to say the wrong thing. And I don't want to, you know, put it out there in a way where it's misconstrued or, you know, taken in the wrong context. So it's hard. We're kind of like walking on eggshells right now, trying to do what's right, say what's right. And sometimes it comes across a certain way where you're being perceived a certain way, or, you know, it's not the right way where you think you're doing what's right. Am I making yeah. sense? I, mm -hmm. I think I am, but I'm not listening to myself. It's kind of just all coming out, but no, that's you're... how I feel. I'm just, I'm scared sometimes to, to say the wrong thing this whole, I think the last year, especially with the pandemic and with the politics that it, things have just gotten very divisive and it's kind of, you know, you're either on this side or on this side. And if you're on this side, we're enemies. And, and we, you know, we've been socially distanced and we've got this, I feel like there's just so much disconnect right now. And, and so, yeah, it is, it is hard. Like I, I have friends who are law enforcement. I have I want everyone to, I want you to be safe. I want your loved ones to come home safe. But also I don't think that driving up to a scene and ending up with teenagers killed it within a 10 second span of you coming on scene. I just, I don't think that's, that's the answer either. There's right. There's right. gotta, yes, as law enforcement, I want you to stay safe. I want you to go home to your family at night, but I want those kids to go home to their family at night too. So right. We had, we had a shooting last summer that involved a 13 year old autistic boy in Salt Lake and he got shot 11 times. He survived, but oh got, my goodness, got shot 11 times. And so that one was, that one was huge. That was a big, 
a big eye-opening one here in, in Utah. So we don't want that to happen again. Well, yeah, I'm so glad he survived, but why? Why does this need to happen, right? So yeah. it's just, there needs to be more training, definitely more training to really be able to assess the situation better. So um, yep. yeah, oh my God, such a tough subject. And I'm, I'm even scared to even talk about it. I know, yeah. <laughs> so, I know. I, be, because of my role as a commissioner with my, my city, um, we, we were actually invited to our city's police. Um, they did their like annual award ceremony this week. And my husband and I went and I'm like, this, I'm like, it feels so weird. Like it, but, but back to, you know, kind of having that disconnect. I said, we were sitting at a table with a couple police officers and just talking, just connecting. And it didn't matter if we had completely different political, religious beliefs, you know, all those things that I think are dividing us right now. It didn't matter. We were just sitting there at the table, having a cool conversation and um, connecting on that human level. But yes, it is an uncomfortable conversation around a topic that is highly, it's very sensitive right now to really talk about so, these things, but it's so sensitive. I haven't said anything. <laughs> I was waiting I for it. like Rhea to say I'm something. Like, I'm like, I got, I've got nothing. I think I think what happens is I, I get so humbled that I just want to listen, you know, and I, I want to empathize and I feel like there's an element of anything that I say, <laughs> it's so heavy, you know, that anything I say is taking space from the folks that should be leading the conversation and not should as in like here, teach us all, do all the heavy lifting. Cause that's a piece of it too. It's exhausting to have to teach everyone over and over what they're unwilling to see or hear. <laughs> and I guess I get really quiet in these conversations. Cause I'm like, okay, I'm all ears. I'm really listening and however you want to share and help us all unpack <laughs> the weight of what's really happening in the world, I'm all ears. So sorry for being crickets, but I'm really listening. <laughs> yeah, we're all listening. And I think that we need to do that if we're not going to contribute something. It's just not our place to, we need to listen more. Yeah, yeah. This has been a wonderful conversation and I thank you so much for being on with us. Thank you. Um, Stacy. where can our listeners find more about you and how can they connect with you if they would like to? I can be connected on all the social medias. <laughs> so my handle on uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Clubhouse is at cstacyspeak. So C as in C with your eyeballs, Stacy, S-T-A-C-Y, no E. So C, Stacy Speak, um, which is also conveniently the name of my website. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, that's that's how you can find me. Yep. Well, thank yeah. you. Really thank appreciate you. you sharing and um, being on the podcast today. And I'm certain that our listeners will really have a lot to take away from what you've shared. If you enjoyed today's conversation, be sure to leave us a review and subscribe on the platform where you're listening. Your review helps other women find our podcast, expanding the heal, empower, and rise. 
and please share with other women in your circle. And remember, your voice is your superpower.